The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsibility gaming resources. I think that there is value to this now because you know a lot of bigger college football games coming up with you know uh, conference championship games and obviously the bowl games, college football playoff. Like people can watch it and not just say, "Hey, I'm just watching this game." They can say, "Oh yeah, there's a whatever. There's a wide receiver that the Bills could pick and, and kind of you know see for themselves you know what they think of those players." Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Most times, here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Hey Bills fans, welcome to another episode of the Circling the Wagons podcast, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast and the only podcast that has one foot still in the 2018 season, but the other foot firmly in the 2019 draft. I'm your host, Nate, and this is a special edition bi-week podcast for all the fans out there that can't get enough Bills talk. So if you're new to our podcast, we give a recap each week during the Bills season after every Bills game. But in this episode, I interview CBS Sports draft expert Chris Trapasso. So why is discussing the NFL draft important in Week 12? Well, the Bills are 3-7 and seven and currently have this sixth overall pick in the draft. I want Bills fans to start thinking college football prospects. Now, if you're like me, you spend 99% of your time watching the Bills and NFL games and only spending about 1% of your time watching college football games. So I wanted to talk to someone that knows a lot more than most fans do and can give us insight as to who we might be hearing about come April next year. Not only does Chris give out a lot of names of players that could be future Bills draft picks, but also gives his insight into the current state of the Bills roster, the front office, the coaching staff, this past year's draft class, including Josh Allen, and the direction that he thinks this organization is headed. So without further ado, here's the interview with Chris Trapasso. <laughs> He is the NFL draft writer for CBS Sports. He's a Bills contributor for the Buffalo News' BN Blitz and the former editor-in-chief of BuffaloRumblings.com. He has written for many major sports outlets, including NFL.com, Fox Sports, and Bleacher Report, and has been following the college football season closely. I'm joined by Chris Trapasso. Chris, it's great to have you on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what's a day in the life of an NFL draft writer entail this time of year? Are you watching games live on Saturday? Are you watching tape? Are you traveling to college football games or all of the above? Um, I don't really travel to too many games. I mean, living in the Western New York area, that's we're not really in a hotbed of <laughs> Um, you know, college football, D1, or a lot of players that are going to the draft. I mean, certainly um, UB this season does have, for the first time in a while, some not only NFL draft prospects, but guys that could be picked in the first couple of rounds. Um, but mostly, um, just because first and foremost, I'm a college football fan. I watch college football on Saturdays like anyone else would. Um, I mean, do I pay a little bit more attention to specific players that I know are draft prospects, probably, but I certainly utilize as much DVR storage as I can on my TV. I have a YouTube TV subscription that has unlimited DVR space, which is fantastic. I wouldn't be able to do what I do without that. And, you know, certainly online, there's some cut-ups that um, you can find of specific players, but I usually do, you know, any of my film watching, beyond Saturday or, you know, late Saturday night, Sunday morning before the NFL game, Sunday night. And then throughout the week, um, when I have free time, when I'm not writing, that's when I'm doing a lot of my film work, which, you know, can be time consuming, but with this job being year round, um, it's just what you have to do. And, and I have to be, and I like to be just as prepared as possible. Um, you know, not only, when the draft gets here or we're a month away, but even before the combine, before the senior bowl. Um, so I have a pretty good grasp on not only the top 32 prospects that might go in the first round, but as you know, the next couple months progress, um, go out to a top 50 and a hundred, and then ultimately try to watch as many as I can. So on draft day, there's only a handful of players that I haven't watched and don't kind of have an idea of their game. So that's, kind of the idea certainly more of a focus on the you know first and second round players uh, just as an NFL draft writer year round it's all about um, you know watching as many draft eligible prospects as possible so it actually goes into my next question I mean we're almost done with the regular season of college football I'm sure you've graded a lot of prospects already this season like you said you're your top 32 when do you start nailing down your draft grades I mean is it in pretty good shape after the regular season i mean do you have a good idea where guys stand or really do the bowl games do the senior bowl and the combine really play a large part of your overall assessment and players moving um up or down the draft board well for me it's about and i don't know if this is the same as everyone but for me it's about 75 percent done after the season you know certainly the bowl games can play a little bit of a role because that's usually where specific players or when specific players are going to play against top competition. Um, but certainly it's just one game. But to me, I'm, I'm a big believer in the combine and timed athleticism, measured athleticism, and just what that can do in terms of predictive stuff for how good or how poor a player is going to play at the NFL level. So the combine does matter to me maybe more than some people. So that would maybe be, I don't know, 20 to 25% of it. Senior Bowl, uh, I think, especially for the small school guys that you don't really get to see against the top competition during the season, uh, I think that can play a little bit of a role. But it's so weird to me because so much goes into the Senior Bowl, seemingly, um, for some teams. And 
actually, I think it, it's kind of growing where there's more teams that are putting a lot of emphasis on what happens at the Senior Bowl. But it's not actually during the game. It's during the week of practices. If you're in Mobile, and I've been several times now, um, everyone from media evaluators, they're there all week from Monday to Thursday or Friday um, to watch the practices. And then everyone leaves for the game pretty much. And the game people don't really take too much from. Um, there's, you know, a lot of conclusions drawn just from practice. So I don't put too much into the senior bowl unless, you know, again, someone from a small school, um, ultimately plays really well or someone that looked great in college from a big program that just seems to struggle when he's out of his comfort zone. Um, so yeah, most of my grades and comparisons and stuff like that are done, um, when the uh, regular season is finished, but the combine for me, um, is a pretty big part of this entire uh, pre-draft process. Okay, great. So I know you've started doing some mock drafts already. Uh, what positions in general seem to be the strongest in the 2019 draft class? Uh, this draft class is going to be absolutely loaded up front on the defensive line. Um, I think, I mean, we had five quarterbacks go in the first round last year for the first time in almost 20 years. Um, and I think we're going to have, I'm not totally sure what the record is, um, I will know, and I will certainly have that uh, number in my head over the next couple months. Um, I'm not totally sure what the, you know, how many defensive linemen, what the record is that have gone in the first round, but I think we could get close to that this year just because at each position and, and every type of defensive lineman from, you know, a nose tackle to a more penetrating defensive tackle to, you know, stand-up outside linebackers that can rush the passer and cover um, to just defensive ends that are just your classic 4-3 defensive ends. There are, you know, at the top, so many good prospects at all those positions, so deep. Um, I haven't obviously gotten into the, you know, second, third, fourth-round guys as much, um, but just what I've seen, seven of my top uh, 10 right now are on the defensive side of the ball. I think there's five defensive linemen in that top 10. Um, so that would certainly be the strength of this class. There's certainly a few other positions. I think wide receiver um, is also very deep. Not a Julio Jones or Kelvin Johnson type player, um, but from the middle of the first round to the middle to the back end of the second round, six, seven, eight wide receivers, most of them bigger, six, two and above, that can be, you know, number one receivers to play on the outside in the NFL. Um, so that, I think is the other position to me that really stands out wide receiver and defensive line, very loaded in the 2019 draft. So what about um, positions that seem to be weak this year? What, what are some areas where there's just not as much depth as there has been in previous years? Oh, uh, I mean, I guess I can start with quarterback, um, which maybe isn't super surprising because we had such a great class last year. Um, and we had some guys like Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold leave when they had more eligibility, Josh Allen as well. Um, but yeah, quarterback to me, uh, I first thought it was a little bit better than kind of, you know, the perception or the reputation going into the season but over the last couple games or month. Um, some of the top guys, Ryan Finley from NC state, Justin Herbert from Oregon, um, have kind of fallen back a little bit, shown some weaknesses. I think Will Greer from West Virginia is a great, just outstanding college quarterback. I don't know if he has NFL traits to be a first-round pick or be a franchise uh, signal caller, 
Um, and then let me see in terms of weak positional, I don't really know about offensive tackle. Jonah Williams from, from Alabama is really, really good. Fundamentally sound. He kind of reminds me of Zach Martin. Um, so I think some people are going to see him as a guard at the NFL level. Um, after him, Dalton Reisner from Kansas state, um, is just a pure right tackle, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's a very important position in today's NFL, um, very experienced, great pass blocker, really gets after it as a run blocker too. And then Greg Little from Ole Miss uh, is kind of a, a little raw, a little bit of a developmental guy, but has the length, the power, the athleticism to be a franchise left tackle. After that, I'm kind of looking for someone to kind of step up and be you know, potentially another first-round prospect or just a solid second-rounder. So I'm not too sure at this point in November that offensive tackle is going to be that great. Um, I don't really know about off-ball linebacker at this point. Um, trying to think what else kind of going across the field. Yep. Um, it, it usually takes a, a little bit of time, um, to kind of get into the offensive linemen. So this could change as I get to watch more, there's just more time and more film, um, for me to kind of go over with, you know, centers and guards. Of course. Um, but I, I don't really think offensive tackle or off ball linebacker are that great of a class. And one just popped in my head, actually safety um we've had a couple safeties go relatively early in the past couple drafts um Deontay Thompson from Alabama is the premier safety I don't really know if he's a top 15 pick he probably should go in the first round um and then Taylor Rapp from Washington it's kind of that you know super physical box safety can make some plays in coverage um hasn't been productive this season as he was in the past but beyond that, I, I'm I'm really looking for someone else to kind of, you know, emerge as a you know premier safety prospect in this draft, and maybe I'll find one eventually. But right now, those three spots: offensive tackle, off-ball linebacker, and safety seem to be the weaker positions in the 2019 class. So you mentioned the quarterback class um, being kind of weak this season. Do you think that's one of the reasons that Brandon Bean decided to draft Josh Allen last season and made a push for a franchise QB then? Because maybe he looked far enough ahead and knew that the 2019 draft class was thin at quarterback? Yeah, I think that could certainly be part of the reason why it uh, happened and you know something that people probably weren't thinking about on draft night. I think that's why we heard you know so much speculation about a dozen or so teams being really intrigued by the top five or top six quarterbacks in this past year's draft, just because not only was there just a different type of quarterback or any type of flavor you, you liked, but these, you know, GMs and scouting departments do look ahead. Um, they're, you know, scouting for next season, um, you know, well in advance. So I think they probably had an idea that, if there was going to be some quarterbacks picked in the first round, there might be one, maybe two, but certainly not as deep as the 2018 draft. Um, and no one, I think, really at all, as this season has kind of played out, that would really have been in the same category as any of the quarterbacks from last year's draft. Wow. Okay. Okay, great. So every year there are a few, like, quote-unquote, elite prospects coming out of the NFL draft. I mean, that amount seems to differ from – year to year, draft to draft. Um, and you mentioned, you know, there being like a lot of uh, top defensive linemen. Um, do you, how many like, you know, elite prospects do you see in this year's upcoming draft? Yeah. I mean, to me, 
elite, I think, kind of gets thrown around a little bit too lightly or too easily. Um, to me, like elite, you have to be basically a, almost a flawless prospect, and certainly no one's perfect. Um, so I don't usually say there's 10, 15, 20 elite prospects. I usually think it's somewhere within five to seven, maybe 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have a specific number at this point, okay. but I can rattle off a few. Nick Bosa is my number one overall prospect. I don't think that's going to change unless his core muscle injury kind of drags out into the pre-draft process or gets closer to the draft and he still hasn't worked out. Um, he just has it all as a defensive end. Athleticism, power, pass rushing moves, you know, very developed array of pass rushing moves for someone his age. Um, he's a lot like his brother when he entered the NFL, and, and we've seen what, you know, Joey has done so early in his NFL career. Um, I think Nick can have a pretty similar impact. Ed Oliver is close to being an elite prospect. Um, athleticism-wise, he's in the same category, I think, and we'll probably see this at the combine if his knee is fully healthy by then as Aaron Donald. He's not as, or he hasn't been as productive as Aaron Donald was at Pittsburgh and his pass rushing moves really aren't where Donald's were, but he wins with just burst off the snap. I mean, he's lightning quick. Um, he kind of looks like a big linebacker out there, but he's playing sometimes, you know, on the nose, which is probably not going to play there in the NFL, but, um, he's up there. I love Jonah Williams. I mentioned him earlier. Um, just watching him, it's like an offensive lineman clinic. Like he, in terms of his balance, when he punches, where he punches, you know, very accurate, getting inside the chest of defensive linemen. He's not really, you know, pushed off balance by counter moves. He's a great run blocker, has light feet. Um, so he's someone that in today's NFL, there's good pass rushers everywhere. They're not just on the outside. And actually, I would, you know, kind of say that with a quick passing in today's NFL, most of the really good pass rushers are on the inside because they're the closest to the ball. So I think you need really good guards. I think the adage that, you know, you can't take guards early or you shouldn't or you should wait on them. Uh, I don't really believe in that. I mean, we've seen Quentin Nelson has played really well for the Colts this year. Zach Martin, you know, was certainly a great pick for the Cowboys um, in 2014. So those three kind of stick out right now. Greedy Williams, the cornerback from LSU, um, I think will be a number one outside cornerback right away because he is so tall, six foot two with long arms, really good fluidity. Um, he's, you know, he's not limited athletically whatsoever. And then one other cornerback, DeAndre Baker, he's might slip a little bit in the draft because he's going to probably be under six foot. I thought he would have been a late first or a second round pick last year. Um, but now he has another year of experience in the SEC can play man to man as well as I've seen from any cornerback in the last couple of drafts. Um, can play some zone too, but I mean, he runs receivers routes for them. He can mirror so well, plays the football well. He, he's, he's very aware when the football is approaching its target and gets his hands on it. So those five off the top of my head, I mean, those are the ones that I've written about the most and not really seen too many flaws in their game. They've been, you know, productive and steady from the first week of the college season all the way up until now. So, Chris, in general, if you are a GM of an NFL franchise, how should you go about adding pieces to your team to your team in the draft? Do you draft players based on need, or do you draft based on best player available? I am a, a firm believer in best player available, and and I think that 
that's kind of what seems to be the smart way to go about it, that people like to say, hey, you always should go best player available. I do think that, you know, if it's close between two guys, I think a lot of GMs do say this. If it is close and you're not, you know, you have a close grade on two players um, that you do go with me, but in today's NFL with injuries, with, you know, contracts are all mostly two-year deals, maybe three-year deals, um, you know, that there's just so much roster turnover every year that when you think you're set at one spot, um, a year or two down the road, you might, you know, have that spot as a need. So I think best player available, and we've seen teams pick players where we've wondered, hey, why did they just pick that player? They already have really good wide receivers, and then it, it looks smart down the road. You don't have to thrust that guy into a you know number one role right away. He can learn. He can take time to get stronger, um, regardless of you know of the position that he's playing. So um, I I really think that teams should just really go with best player available, unless it's you know if they have a you know unquestioned um, franchise quarterback, maybe you know pick another one in the first round. Um, and kind of expanding on this quickly, mm-hmm. I'm a big believer still in you build from front to back. I think you need on both sides of the ball. Everything starts with the offensive line and certainly quarterback matters, but the offensive line is the foundation of your team. I think that if, even if you have a very talented, great quarterback, if you can't protect him, if you can't run the ball, I think that's you know going to be a problem for your offense when you are trying to pass. And same thing with the defensive line. If, if your team, you know, can't control the line of scrimmage and they're, you know, they're huge running lanes for the opposition to run through, um, you can't create a pass rush. You're going to have problems on defense. So I'm, I'm a big believer in building back to front. Um, and that's just in terms of where I would kind of slot guys in terms of, you know, importance, um, in terms of different positions. And, you know, I would prioritize a defensive lineman over a safety and certainly an offensive lineman over a running back. Okay, great. Well, that actually leads into my next question as well. Going to the Bills side of the football i mean what position or positions do you see as the biggest bills need this um upcoming off season it's got to be wide receiver i mean uh it's it's been one of the the least impactful groups um in the entire nfl this season and when you have someone at quarterback in josh allen uh who's a young player we've seen other teams and i've, I've said this on a lot of other podcasts and radio spots, but it's true, um, follow this same uh, blueprint to pick a quarterback in the first round, um, kind of have your roster, maybe not be the greatest at, at in his rookie year, but save money, um, hoard some draft picks, and then use the next offseason, his second year, um, to add to that quarterback some talent at the receiver spot. And the Bills undoubtedly need probably two, maybe even three wide receivers to help Josh Allen and to just give him a chance to succeed, a fair chance to succeed at the NFL level. So certainly the offensive line could use some help. Um, I don't think the offensive line has been as bad as, certainly not as bad as it looked in the preseason or as, you know, kind of its reputation. I think we saw um, against the Jets in Week 10, Wyatt Teller, the rookie from Virginia Tech come in there with his first start at uh, left guard and look fairly good, pretty good actually uh, for a, a, a rookie mid round pick 
Deion Dawkins is is one of the better young left tackles in the league. They certainly could use a center. They could use a right tackle. Jordan Mills is in the last year of his deal and, and has been you know average at best. Um, John Miller, kind of the same thing. But I think in today's NFL, and I mean again, I just did say that that I I, I do believe in in having a strong offensive line. I think wide receiver is a very important in today's NFL. Um, so there or at right tackle, I think those two spots are the clear-cut biggest needs for the Bills this offseason. So if the season ended today, uh, the Bills would have the sixth overall pick in the draft. I mean, you've listed a ton of players already. I mean, do you see a player in the draft that fits those needs at the sixth overall position, even you know, a wide receiver or, like you said, maybe guard or, or tackle? I know you mentioned the, uh, the, the tackle from Alabama. Do you think he'll be there at number six? Well, yeah, I mean, I think he probably will be there because, like I said, uh, he's not, he's not 6'6 six, six and 330 with 35 inch, you know, long arms. He's listed at 6'5, 300 pounds. Um, so I think some, I mean, again, some teams are going to say, hey, this is going to be our left guard or even our right guard, um, on our team. So I, I have him as my number two overall prospect right now just because, like I said, he's, there's no development needed with him. I mean, he he might need to add a little bit of weight um, to help him anchor in uh, pass protection. But in terms of, I mean, an offensive line coach at the NFL level is not going to have to teach him much. Um, so I think that's a really important when you can have an offensive lineman. We've seen a lot of offensive linemen recently come into the NFL, even as first round picks, and they're just not ready to be pro blockers that they've played in spread offenses where the ball's out and you know under two seconds on almost every snap um and they can maybe have some highlight real plays in terms of run blocking but pass protection they're not that good williams um you know certainly plays in a college style offense but but alabama is for the most part somewhat traditional um and they certainly run the ball a lot so i think he could be there at number six he probably will be there i'll probably have a you know, more of a, a a better viewing or evaluation of him than where he'll ultimately go. Um, so he's probably the guy right now that would be there. Um, and then wide receivers, two guys, Nikhil Harry from Arizona State. And the combine's going to be big for him. He's six foot four, 215, 220 pounds. He's been a number one wide receiver, you know, dominant player since his true freshman season for the Sun Devils. 2016 um and we've seen more last month just totally explode um a lot of touchdowns over 20 catches over 400 yards in the last three or four games um he's kind of in the Elshon Jeffrey AJ Green mode that's kind of who I see when I watch him play he probably would be there at number six that might be a little early for him um but that's kind of around where I I think I'll ultimately have my I believe my latest update I had him at number eight Overall, and then A.J. Brown, um, the wide receiver from Old Miss, um, a little smaller or a little shorter, I should say, than Harry. Um, listed at 6'1", 230 pounds, is the best after the catch bigger receiver in college football. Turns into a running back, very shifty, very athletic after the catch. Can make some plays down the field because he has strong hands and really tracks the football well. Um, he played a lot in the slot last season. And for most of this year, but after one of his teammates, DK Metcalf, got hurt, he's moved to the outside a little bit to show that he can 
kind of flourish on the outside as well. Um, so AJ Brown and Nikhil Harry to me just their production. They've both been you know over a thousand yard receivers, score a lot of touchdowns. Those are the two that could, if they you know ace the pre-draft process, um, find themselves in the top ten. I don't know if both will go in the top ten, but one of those two could potentially be there and and be worth it for the Bills at number six at a position of need. So we just talked position of need. Which players at that point in the draft, like number six or top 10, that would be um, just too talented that the Bills, even even though it's not a, a, a position of need right now, that they would just have to draft just because of, of, of how talented they are? Um, I would say probably Ed Oliver. I mean, it's not a huge need, but I think defensive line, especially how much Sean McDermott likes to rotate his defensive linemen, um, you know, he has seven or eight guys that are playing a relatively considerable amount of snaps each game. And I think, you know, that's great for the defensive line. It keeps those guys fresh. I think that's part of the reason why we've seen the Bills play so well up front over the last, you know, season and a half now under Sean McDermott because he's a really big believer and not just running the same four guys out there on the defensive line. And then you factor in Kyle Williams. Is he going to retire? If he does, I think you have a somewhat of a need at defensive tackle, maybe a bigger one at the edge rusher spot. Um, Shaq Lawson certainly come on very strongly this season. That's huge for the Bills moving forward. Jerry Hughes is older, but he's been one of the best edge rushers in the entire NFL. I don't think there's any reason that the Bills should move on from him. Um, but I do think that Sean McDermott will be interested in adding someone on the defensive line, maybe early. And if Ed Oliver were there, like I said, Aaron Donald-type athleticism burst off the ball. He can use his hands. I don't think he uses them as well as, you know, you would want to for picking a defensive lineman or a defensive tackle that early. Um, but in terms of his talent, like you asked, Oliver is very rare. He's the closest thing that we've seen to Aaron Donald. I don't really think there's been any defensive or defensive tackle close to Aaron Donald in the last four or five drafts since he came into the league. Um, so to me... Ed Oliver, if Nick Bosa for some reason happened to be there, again, that would be a position where you would say, hey, they have Shaq Lawson, they have Jerry Hughes, Eddie Arbrough is a really good reserve player. Um, but Nick Bosa, like I said, is is just ready to be a star in the NFL from day one. Um, so those two players, not huge positions of need. Um, and I think if they were somehow there at number six, which you never know what can happen in the pre-draft process, um, that the Bills would probably just have to pick them because they are so talented. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So you wrote an article in early October giving grades to the four rookie quarterbacks that had made a start this season, and you gave Allen mm-hmm. a grade of D+, but also noted that the O-line was a problem and there, so were the lack of weapons. Um, what are some of the issues that you see in Josh Allen's game? Um, a lot of what I saw at Wyoming, um, and I'm a firm believer, and this might, I mean, this might sound a little too cut and dry or black and white, but especially at the quarterback position, um, I don't really think that players change that much from who they are as a college player, their strengths and their weaknesses, um, usually stay the same. They could maybe add a little bit to their strengths or maybe improve a little bit on their weaknesses, but those things usually stay the same over the test of time. Um, with Josh Allen, his weaknesses, I think, 
are, are not necessarily accuracy. That was kind of the general, you know, kind of gripe on his game that he couldn't hit the broadside side of a barn. I don't really think that's true. When he has a clean pocket, he can throw strikes all over the field. And the Bills did see that a little bit, um, you know, when he was starting earlier this season. It's just under pressure, um, what he does in terms of managing the pocket, uh, I think he gets a little bit too antsy. Um, we saw in that interception, and not to just single out one play, but I think it was kind of a microcosm against the Packers late in the first half when he's, you know, left the pocket. I don't really remember if he was, you know, under pressure or he just left the pocket prematurely, but tried to make a play overextended is kind of what I like to say he does and some quarterbacks do when they're coming into the NFL. Um, threw across his body, threw an interception, should have thrown the ball away. Um, so in the pocket, most of the really good quarterbacks can subtly drift away from pressure, keep their eyes up the field. Um, I, I didn't see that a ton from Allen at the time that I wrote that article. Um, I think he started a game or two after that. And ironically, in the Houston Texans game where he was injured, um, he did run a little bit in the first half or maybe more than I think fans would have liked to see. Um, but he did seem a little bit more comfortable as he was starting more against the Tennessee Titans. When they won, there were times where he was waiting in the pocket, looking at his first, second read. Um, if there was pressure, he was stepping up naturally or a lot more comfortably than he was. So that was a good sign. Those first couple games, he, he did look like a rookie, like almost all rookie quarterbacks do, that when they feel the pressure, they want to get outside the pocket and make a play. But you really, to thrive long-term in the NFL, you have to just manage the pocket and, and almost own the pocket. And I didn't really see that. So that was really the biggest, or I didn't see it that much from Josh Allen early on. Was getting better um, before he was injured. And, and also, ironically, his best throw of the season came when he was injured on a seam pass to Calvin Benjamin, who wasn't really open when he threw it. It was an anticipation throw down the seam. It was right on target. Um, did take a late hit, got hurt on that play. So I think he was showing improvement from that article that I wrote. Um, but a lot of the, the issues with, with just being patient and managing the pocket is what I saw at Wyoming, what I saw early um, in his rookie season with the Bills. Gotcha. So, I mean, well, Matt Barkley just had that very convincing win against, you know, a pretty lackluster Jets team last week. Um, but Josh Allen is penciled in as the start of the bye week. I mean, knowing what you just said, you would probably just trot Allen out there anyway, right? I mean, even though there's a lack of weapons and O-line, I mean, there, there's no point in starting Matt Barkley past whenever, unless Allen is injured, basically, right? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of like, I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm buying for this, but I, I, I did have Josh Allen out of the big six quarterbacks that I call them. I did have him as my sixth quarterback because I personally believe that you can't, that you usually don't see quarterbacks improve in terms of drifting away from pressure in the pocket, um, getting to the second and third reads quickly, getting the ball out super quick. Um, so I just thought he was more of a develop, not developmental prospect. I had him as a second round pick. Um, so to me, um, unless he's, you know, 100% healthy, no possibility of, you know, re-aggravating by throwing the football, um, that, you know, I think if, if that's the case, then sure, the Bills should put him out there. But for a team that's been looking for a franchise quarterback for 20 years, 
I think you have to be really encouraged with what Barkley did. Um, and it's so weird because in that 2013 draft, um, that ultimately flopped at the quarterback position, obviously with those picked EJ Manuel, uh, in the first round in that draft. But going into the pre-draft process, it was all about Matt Barkley, Ryan Nassif, EJ Manuel, Geno Smith. And only one of those guys went in the first round. Matt Barkley never really got, you know, I'm not going to say a fair chance, but he was always, you know, second or third fiddle to other quarterbacks and all the other stops that he's been at the NFL level. I wouldn't totally dismiss Matt Barkley, you know, ever playing again for the Bills. Um, I think if you are noticing, if you're the coaching staff and you're noticing that, you know, the offensive line isn't playing well, the receivers are dropping passes, no one's getting open. Um, Josh Allen is just seeing, you know, not seeing wide receivers open and seeing pass rushers in his face. And he's, you know, maybe not 100% at that point. I don't think it would be a bad idea at all to put Matt Barkley in there. Um, but at three and seven, you do want to see what you have with Josh Allen. So I, I do think that, that for the most part, Sean McDermott is making the right choice by putting Allen back out there. I, I'm just very interested to see if Josh Allen doesn't play well, how long will his leash be, um, you know, over these last six games. Gotcha. So, I mean, I know we're a little over halfway into the 2018 um, regular football season for the NFL. Uh, what are your thoughts overall of the Bills scouting staff and front office with the last draft, excluding Josh Allen, which we just talked about? I mean, do you feel like they may be better evaluators than previous front office staffs, or is it too early to tell? Well, here's the thing. I think the last GM, Doug Whaley, um, was really good at what he probably should have been really good at, that he spent his time in Pittsburgh with the Steelers as a pro personnel, um, you know, guy that, that was watching guys at the NFL level and was helping out with free agency, um, you know, trade, stuff like that. He came to the Bills, and Matt is in the same department that he stayed. Um, and when you look at some trades and some free agents that he brought in, I think he did a great job with that. Overall, in his tenure as a GM, the drafts were, were not great. I mean, he certainly picked a few good players here and there. Um, obviously, his biggest kind of blunder was trading up for Sammy Watkins when he could have had Odell Beckham. That was just, you know, one of the best wide receiver groups in history. Um, and he decided to trade up and, and, and take the first wide receiver in that draft who didn't really live up to all the hype and certainly not being the, you know, the fourth overall pick that costs an extra first round pick. Um, so I think when you compare it to that, especially early, um, I mean, really Brandon Bean's only been around or in Buffalo for one draft. And this draft class looks really good. Um, even beyond Josh Allen, I think Tremaine Edmonds, um, and I'll be quick with these guys, but I think Tremaine Edmonds has the exact skill set that you want in a modern day off the ball linebacker. Um, he certainly doesn't look like one at six, five and two fifty four, Um, but he can just run. He can cover. He's very twitchy. Um, still very, very young. I loved Harrison Phillips coming out of Stanford. I think they got a steal with him at the back end of the third round. Karen Johnson has been arguably the best slot corner in the entire AFC, maybe in all of football, certainly the best rookie at that slot corner spot. Um, watching him on film, he just sees things develop before anyone else. He's not, he certainly has, you know, good athleticism, but I think his instinct, he reads routes, he reads blockers on screens 
so quickly that he just gets to the football. He has great ball skills as well. Um, certainly later in the draft, I think, um, you know, those guys are kind of throwaway players for, for most teams anyway that, you know, occasionally a sixth or seventh rounder sticks, but if they don't, it's not a big deal. Um, I liked Wyatt Teller. I didn't love him. I had him um, ranked higher than Will, than where the Bills picked him. I think with a little bit more strength, though, he can be a star, a, a very solid, I don't know about a Pro Bowl or an All-Pro type, but he can be a very solid left or right guard that you never really worry about um, just because he was so experienced at Virginia Tech. He actually started on the defensive line and transitioned to the offensive side early in his career there in college. Um, just really well-balanced, good athlete. Um, and I think with, with more weight and more strength next season, um, he certainly looks like he's ready to start, and I think he can be a good player. So you look at that first draft for the Bills and first for Brandon Bean in Buffalo, and it looks like a very solid group with um, you know players at, at all different positions who are going to be solid players in Buffalo for a long time. Gotcha. Great. So, I mean, last question. I know you're a Bills fan and you follow Bills. What's been your view of this season? I mean, I know it's a down year, but do you have faith that McDermott and his coaching staff can turn it around next season? Well, here's the thing. I mean, anytime you're forced due to injury um, to play your third string quarterback, I don't care what team you are, who you are, who those quarterbacks um, could be, you're going to have some struggles on the offensive side. I mean, certainly the Bills weren't expecting Nathan Peterman to be as bad as he was this year. Um, so I think that first game kind of threw a wrench in their plans totally. But um, when they had to go back to him after Josh Allen got hurt, after Derek Anderson got hurt, he had no confidence whatsoever. Um, I think so just the quarterback carousel um, is going to lead, especially in today's NFL, for your offense to, to not look up to you know normal NFL standards. Um, so I think on the defensive side, what they are building is a really solid foundation at all three levels of the field. Um, and I really think that you know overall, last year they overachieved a little bit just looking at the roster. They just got the most out of all of those players that play. You know, all those guys played so hard every week. Um, you know, created turnovers. They ran the ball well. Tyra Taylor played well, um, even without having, you know, elite wide receivers out wide. Um, so I, I think Sean McDermott, his coaching staff, um, the front office, they really get the most out of their players. They, they aren't afraid to call up guys from the practice squad and bring guys uh, in off the street, which certainly, you know, all teams do those things, but they've gotten some quality contributions from those players. And that's really important when you have, you know, guys getting injured every season, but you need to be able to do that as a front office and as a coaching staff. Um, so even at three and seven, um, especially if they end the season on a strong note, which I, I actually think they will. Um, I think you have to look at what these, what Sean McDermott, what Brandon Bean inherited um, and say, Hey, they've had this team, um, you know, overachieving two straight years. And now getting into year three, that I think, you know, we could be talking about the Bills as a legitimate playoff contender, you know, double digit wins um, should be the plan and could be the plan um, or be in the cards next season for Buffalo. Wow. Well, that's great to hear. Um, so 
you know, thanks again for coming on, Chris. He is Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports. Find all his work there on cbsports.com and bnblitz.com. Uh, where can they find you on social media, Chris? Um, you can find me tweeting about the NFL draft and the Bills a lot um, at Chris Trapasso, and the last name is T R A P A S S O. I do have a Facebook account. I tweet my links out there, or I, I put my links out there as well. But I'm a I'm a big Twitter guy, so if you find me on there, follow me. Um, you'll get a lot of NFL draft and a lot of Buffalo Bills. Great, and he is a great follow. Um, just recently, you were tweeting about your film study on Matt Barkley, which I thought was very interesting. Um, so yeah, so thanks again for taking time out of your very busy schedule and coming on to talk uh, Buffalo Bills in the NFL draft. Hey, thanks for having me on. <laughs> Hey, Circling the Wagons listeners, now's a good time to let you know that there is a 30% off Black Friday sale for our Bill store this week only. That means any size t-shirts are $14 and all wall art for your man cave or home or office starts at $13, including the famous Trust the Process shirt, the end of the drought poster, and our always popular Circling the Wagons logo shirt. See for yourself at tpublic.com dot com slash stores slash ctw pod that's tpublic.com slash stores slash ctw pod now if you have a person they need to buy a gift for this holiday season and you're not really sure what to buy them and that person is also a bills fan check out the sale at tpublic.com slash stores slash ctw pod so there was a ton of information in that interview, so feel free to listen to it two or three times to get all the names and players that Chris mentioned, and hopefully we can all watch some of those players up close in the upcoming bowl games. And not only did he have great insight into possible future draft picks, but also the current state of the Bills roster and the organization, as well as its future. It is now the week of Thanksgiving, and we're feeling thankful to all of you for letting us make this show. Um, if you're feeling extra generous this week, consider leaving a rating and review of our show on Apple Podcasts. Just tap the link in the show notes and scroll down. If you're listening on your phone right now, just head over to the show page and swipe down. It'll take two seconds and it'll make a huge difference to us here at the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. We may even read yours on the show. So I wanted to leave this podcast on a personal note. Um, in the spirit of Thanksgiving and being thankful for things, I know our co-host John has a daughter turning two this week, and my son just turned three this past weekend. And it brings me to a topic that we don't get to discuss that often during the season, and that is the ability that your children give you to hand down your fandom from generation to generation. Now, you may not be a mother or a father yet, or you might be an aunt or an uncle or have friends with young children, but you're most likely a Bills fan if you're listening to this. And I always knew it would be cool to be a dad, but sharing things with your children is one of the best parts about being a parent. You'll be the first one to show them The Lion King, and they'll think it's cool 25 years after it's been released. Or uh, they can play with your Matchbox cars you had when you were a kid and not think they look dinged up and old. You know, play with them as if they were new. Or you can have them watch the Bills with you every Sunday and they'll start to love them because daddy or mommy loves them. I, it brings me back to um, a story about when my wife and I were telling my parents that uh, we were pregnant with my son. 
And, you know, we brought them out to breakfast and uh, set them down. And, you know, it's a big, big moment for any first time parents to let the grandparents know that they're going to be grandparents either for the first time or again. Um, and, and I remember being excited about it and we, you know, we said, oh, you know, just so you know, we're going to, you're going to be parents. They were excited. You know, we were excited to tell them. And then, you know, I, it was pretty funny because the first thing I said, well, you know, well, whoever it is, he or she will definitely be a Bills fan. Like I made that point to tell my parents that my parents are like, oh, okay, well, what about religion? (laughs) I was like, "Ah, I haven't necessarily figured that out yet, but I definitely know that they'll be a Bills fan. Um, it's kind of it's kind of funny how we look at things like that. And, you know, it's just one of those things where he sees daddy rooting for the Buffalo Bills every Sunday and he wants to root for him too. He just he's at that age right now where he wants to do whatever daddy's doing. And it's a great age. It's a fun age. And um, you know, we do this annual tradition around his birthday where uh we take a picture together with matching bill shirts and you know i have one from when he was basically you know like a week old his first bills game that we watched together and it was funny because i remember when he was very young like that first week i had to be very careful not to yell or shout like i normally do and i definitely let one out anyway and i think he cried and i always felt guilty about that but i he won't remember it so um but yeah if there's any do you guys have any annual traditions that involve the bills and your children in any way, or even your nieces or nephews or whatever, um, shoot us an email at ctwpod at gmail.com or tweet us at ctwpod and let us know uh, what your traditions are every every uh, year and we'll read them next week and maybe you'll have an idea or two that uh, we can all steal and use for our own. <laughs> so again, I want to thank Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports and the Buffalo News for coming on and talking all things draft and the Buffalo Bills with us. Please follow him at Chris Trapasso if you aren't already following him. I wanted to thank my son on his third birthday for making me a proud dad. And for all you guys, whether you're at home, in the car or truck, at your desk, or on the job site, thank you for listening to us rattle on about the Bills every week. And so for me, Nate, go Bills, have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you guys after the Jaguars game. Go Bills! Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's Charlie Tango Whiskey Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly, go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Well, see you later.